Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible spiritual coach, yoga therapist, and author, Jenny Lee. Hello, Jenny, and welcome to the show. Hey, Zach. I'm happy to be with you today. Today, we're going to be talking about breathing love. And for those that don't know, Jenny Lee is an award-winning author, teacher, and speaker specializing in classical yoga, meditation, and mindful wellness. She has three books on self-development, spirituality, and yoga philosophy, including her newest book, Spark Change, 108 Provocative Questions for Spiritual Evolution, and another book, which is the topic for today's show, Breathing Love, Meditation in Action, which delivers a powerful message about loving as an essential and universal spiritual practice. Jenny has been in private practice for over 20 years, counseling people seeking greater peace and purpose. How are you today, Jenny? Feeling peace and rooted in your purpose? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, actually, (laughs) I was having a difficult morning, to be totally Mm. truthful, but um, I'm grateful for my practice of meditation because it is definitely what brings me back to peace and purpose and center when those difficult days arise which seem to be often these days for most people. (laughs) Yes, yes. I was just talking with another meditation teacher and we were reflecting just that people think their spiritual practice is going to absolve them from ever experiencing any problems. But really, it provides us the courage to face them and also not complicate our emotional experience. Yes, that's true. I'm nodding my head. Like, (laughs) yeah, the absolution from uh, personal challenge is not part of the the guarantee. (laughs) So thanks so much for coming on today, because we're going to be talking about a very different, but connected kind of love. And a lot of the love we've talked about on the podcast is the dyadic love that is experienced between two people, tends to have some romance and some commitments and some sexual attraction to it. And for a lot of people, this is the only love that they kind of know and experience as a human being, along with some possible family love, but it's all connected. But Our love for today is much larger and much more expansive and at the same time very personal because you write about love as who we truly are and that we are not just, you know, a bag of skin doing a very complex chemical reaction of just matter, but we are fundamentally on a basic nature love. So great guru. Tell us about the love that we are. Well, I I will not uh, accept the title, <laughs> Great Guru. Let's put it that way. Um, struggling human, I'll take that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the 
the love that I write about in Breathing Love and what I strive to teach and practice is this uh, this universal love. And mm. my understanding of this really came from my guru, Paramahansa Yogananda, who writes extensively about this divine love and what it means to connect to that energy and to recognize it as who we fundamentally are. And this is, you know, really, really different for some people to hear this concept and, 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 or even if they can kind of accept it intellectually to actually feel it, to feel themselves as the energy of love is, is a big shift. So that was my intention really in writing Breathing Love and this, you know, the subtitle Meditation in Action. It's like bringing what we experience in meditation or what we strive to experience in meditation into our active experience of living as love. So, yeah. So, okay. I really want to agree with you. I already agree with you, but I'm going to pretend I don't. So I really want to agree with the sentiment that we are love. But my general day-to-day, -day, I don't experience this at all. I kind of feel like kind of an insignificant piece of dust caught up in a big, crazy universe. How can I be put on the path to figuring out and really coming to an understanding that my true nature is love? Yeah. So, well, if you think of love really as energy, we often think of it as, as an emotion or a feeling, but everything is energy, right? The quantum physicists have explained this to us. Everything mm -hmm. fundamentally is energy. So we are energetic beings. And love is the energy that harmonizes or brings together. And that's why in human terms, you know, when we feel love for somebody, we feel attracted, we want to be with them. It's what brings us together. Um, as opposed to fear, or hate, <laughs> the opposites of love that would pull us apart, you know, push us away and create that distance. And so Yogananda talks about love being the harmonizing energy of the universe. Mm -hmm. So when we, we have a choice, right? Because we're beings of free will, we have a choice to either place ourselves into that harmonious energy, love, or into the disharmonious energy of fear. And people think that we don't really, I mean, I think oftentimes people feel like we don't really have a choice, that these things just arise within us. And to a degree, that's true. You know, we can't dictate what thought or feeling is going to come into our minds and our heart, mm. but we do have a choice of what we allow to stay there. So when we catch a fearful thought or a negative or really disharmonious thought, we can choose whether to feed that story or not. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like that old story about which wolf do you feed? You remember that, you know, that mm -hmm. parable. So yep. it's, it's so much about choice, really. So yeah, for our listeners that don't know, and it's kind of common, but there's two wolves inside of you. And the one that survives is the one that you feed. Usually that one wolf is the loving light wolf and the other wolf is the fearful, angry wolf. And let's talk about feeding that loving wolf and what that looks like, because it is about meditating in action and about breathing love. So how do we feed the wolf of love inside of us? 
So meditation is absolutely critical in my opinion, because there's no way that we can tap into the transcendent experience of love without moving beyond our day-to-day kind of experience of being. So most of the time we're plugged in, literally plugged into our devices, plugged into Mm -hmm. our interactions with other people, plugged into all the sensory experiences of life. And so meditation is our time to unplug from all of that to literally, in yogic terms, uh, practice pratyahara, or the withdrawal of the senses, uh, which is one of the eight limbs of yoga. And in that practice of withdrawing our awareness from the external world and our, our external identifications, including the external identification of our physical bodies, as we move into deeper and deeper states of meditation, an internal awareness arises that is quite different of who we are and what we're a part of. And it's in that space that we start to start to have those glimmers of recognizing ourselves as this energy of love. And so as a daily practice, to take time in stillness and to cultivate the ability to quiet the mind and unplug the senses is is absolutely essential. Mm. There's other ways of feeding that wolf. I can go on if you want me to. Sure. What are some other ways? <laughs> well, the other ways are really practicing the presence of love in your day-to-day interactions with other people. And that means that we see beyond what they're presenting us. So there's a lot of ugliness and a lot of ignorance and a lot of negativity and darkness in the world. And so I, I know for me, if I even flip on the news for five minutes, it's it's just so discouraging. But it is a part of my daily spiritual practice to really look at each person through eyes of love, and this is actually a chapter in the book, seeing through eyes of love, which means that I see beyond what they're presenting me. So even if they're presenting me um, just a lot of negativity, let's say, I know that beyond that, there is a soul that is here going through its own experience and really trying in its own way to remember its true nature, but that mm-hmm. it's struggling and that it is caught in the net of ignorance, spiritual ignorance of its true nature as love. So I have to not stop and judge and and get caught up in that negative story with that person who is there, but hold us at a higher kind of vision or standard of potential that the potential of remembering our soul nature, which is made up of, you know, qualities such as peace and um, kindness and compassion and empathy. Yeah, I want to probe more into what you mean by remembering. So what I'm hearing from you is that fundamentally, and this is described a lot in yoga philosophy, that we're caught up in the material world. You know, everything from people seeking desire from sensual pleasures to just identifying with our body and our mind. Like if you ask most people who they are, they're not going to say love. They're going to say something like, I'm a brain with bones and skin, and this is how I operate in the world. And they don't experience themselves to be loved. And you're describing this process of turning within, almost disidentifying with our body sense mind complex, discover something deeper And then you describe it as a process of remembering. So tell us more about that because it implies that we've forgotten and we knew it 
a certain point in our time that we were this love. So what does that look like? So if you think of your physical self and your non-physical self, I call that non-physical self the soul. And mm. the soul is the, is the aspect of the divine which is uniquely you that exists throughout eternity and that has come into this particular physical form at this particular physical lifetime for a reason, you know, to learn certain lessons and to go through certain experiences and to go through this process of remembrance. Why? Because mm. this is, according to yoga philosophy, God's play. This is the, the grand cosmic lila or play, um, the stage of life that we're all on. And so we're all playing our parts. And so when we, when we come into physicality, it's like the, um, the curtain is drawn. And in yoga philosophy, they call that curtain maya or the veil of illusion. And so this sense that we are these physical bodies and that this is the fullness of, of who we are in our identity becomes so real it, you know it's so tangible it's so so real that we forget that we have this other non-physical aspect of self and so it's not that we are denying the reality of our physical being but it's just remembering that we are more than that so that we can bring the two together and have an embodied experience of our spiritual essence it's just poetry listening to you I love everything that you're saying. And you mentioned how our soul is an aspect of the divine, which is uniquely us and exists throughout eternity. And essentially, our soul almost incarnates, you might say, into this physical body in order to remember. Am I getting that right? Well, I would say that it's on a journey of remembrance. Right. And so it takes many lifetimes to have that occur but we never know in which lifetime it will the full remembrance or enlightenment will occur mm. it can happen at any point but of course according to yoga philosophy too there are stages of enlightenment so just because we might hit a moment of remembrance that um you know what they call sabi kalpa, sabi kalpa samadhi is that those moments of bliss that people achieve in meditation but then it's not sustainable right we drop back into um, mm. feeling very limited and constricted by our human experience. And so it isn't until we reach the state that the masters do, like Christ or Buddha or Krishna, uh, what they call nirvikalpa samadhi, which is that sustained state of awareness in which we, we can walk through the physical plane but never forget that we are bliss beings, really. And earlier you mentioned to see others through the eyes of love. That's a really beautiful sentiment, and that's often something I've read in other spiritual books and bring into my teachings from time to time. And when I tell my students things along the lines of, like, we should love everyone and look at everyone through the eyes of love, I almost always get resistance, like, often in the form of what about like what about the bad people what about the person that is trying to murder me what about if i'm trying to love everyone and i love my partner and my kids and then there's nothing left for myself and i'm drained and i'm depleted and what is your approach when people meet resistance to this idea that we should be loving everyone and seeing this world through the eyes of love 
Well, there's a whole bunch of questions within this question, Zach. So I'll see if I can hit a few of the main points. So the sense of feeling drained, I want to touch that one first, because when we feel any sense of depletion or drained from giving love, we it's a sure sign that we're giving from the ego. We're giving from mm. the egoic uh, personal love that is within our personality. And so that is, in a sense, limited. Um, mm. And we will feel tapped out. I mean, I feel it too at times. And But it's a reminder when I feel that, it's like, oh, right, I'm giving from my ego. I totally forgot to tap source love. And that's when I need to go back to my meditation cushion and reconnect to divine love because divine love is unlimited, unlimited. It is the entire essence of creation. And so the source is ever present and we can reconnect to that and draw in just like we draw in life force energy we can draw in as much love as as we as we're mm. able to in that moment right but it's up to us to do that practice and then and i know this from personal experience i mean i'm married i have a child and there are times when i feel completely drained by those relationships even though i love them for with my life um and I know when I shift gears and I'm loving from a more divine love place and it, I'm just the channel of love and I'm opening to the divine love moving through me and I'm not coming just from my ego, then there is just so much more and such a different experience of loving that's happening. So I love that sentiment that when we are feeling our love is limited, it's because we're coming from a limited place of ego. And there is this more divine love that we are not possessive of, but we're conduit to, and we simply need to open up to. So that's beautiful. And then you mentioned there's some other answers to my questions. So what about other resistances to seeing like bad people through the eyes of love? Well, the other reason we get limited in our ability to see people through the eyes of love before I get to the quote, bad people, <laughs> I'm putting that in air quotes. Um, but before I get to that, the other reason we get limited is because we've forgotten to really know ourselves and love ourselves. So know ourselves as love and love ourselves as love. Mm. And so we can't possibly give that to anyone else if we're not giving it to ourselves. And so when we start to be self-judgmental, self-critical, well, we're ju we've just disconnected again. And so mm. we've got to start there because we can't show up in kindness and see people through eyes of love if we're being internally judgmental of ourselves. It just doesn't work. So we've got to start in inwardly first. Then when we encounter these, and I'm air quoting, bad people again, people, it really, it's people who are doing bad things because there are no bad people. There are, there are, everyone is a soul. Now, those souls might be so disconnected from their divine essence that they are in total darkness and complete ignorance. And that's the state from which they act in horrible, bad ways. And that's why we, you know, and there's a lot of that happening in the world today, obviously. Mm -hmm. But the practice of seeing people through eyes of love is saying, all right, what's acting here is an ego that is completely disconnected from its spiritual center. 
And so we can dislike and work against the action that that ego is taking that's imbalanced and inharmonious and and even you know you could use even use the word evil but it's always remembering that there is something behind that there's something beyond that it's greater than that and mm. we're all on a spectrum of the remembrance some people are closer to the remembrance of their true nature some people are quite far away from it honestly when i hear of tragic things happening whether it's personally in my community or, or on the global scale, my first prayers are for the perpetrators because they're so lost. Mm -hmm. No one who is living in an awareness of their spiritual nature acts violently. You mm -hmm. know, it just doesn't happen. Once we start to wake up even a little bit to our loving essence, we just don't act that way. So those... Mm -hmm. Souls are really, really lost. Hmm. That's such a beautiful sentiment that no one who is living in an awareness of their spiritual nature acts violently. And that sentiment that there are no bad people, just bad actions is reflected in a lot of other circles like restorative justice and even a lot of teachers I know who work with problem marginalized children also recognize that basically how hurt people hurt people people that have been hurt themselves in certain ways hurt others and you mentioned how each one of us is sort of this unique reflection of divine love and i wanted to ask you more about that divinity you're describing because to a lot of people when I think of the divine, I think of what sometimes is referred to as like a wizard in the sky. <laughs> and like that the God is basically a man with superpowers who looks down and judges the world. And when you talk about divinity and there's other ways of thinking about this divine force in our lives, obviously it goes beyond words and it's ultimately unknowable. But for someone uninitiated to thinking of the divine in a different way, how would you begin to describe this experience? So I love that. Nothing like a small challenge. So you just said it's um, <laughs> it's indescribable with words and unknowable. Here, tell, now, so tell us about that, Jenny. <laughs> Thanks, Zach. <laughs> well, I'm actually going to agree with you and disagree with you on those two terms that you just set, used. So sure. um Indescribable with words, yes. Unknowable, no. Mm. <laughs> so at the ultimate experiential level, is the divine indescribable with words? I would say yes. It's very, it would be impossible for me to put enough words around this for anyone else to have the experience of it via my words. So I can do the best that I can given my experience of it, but the knowability of the divine, and mm. I would say that the divine is absolutely knowable, but that we have to try. Mm. <laughs> we have to be willing to get to know it, and we have to do our practices with that intention to know the divine essence within us and around us in every 
atom of creation and mm. that it absolutely wants to be known to us, to each one of us in very personal ways. And so we can't just rely on as great as podcasts are, <laughs> our local <laughs> podcast to tell us all about the divine. We've got to take the journey internally, which brings us back to meditation. Because, you know, the moments that I've had in meditation where my thinking mind has just dropped off finally, <laughs> thankfully, mm -hmm. for five seconds, you know, and I've dropped into that state of awareness where all I feel is love. And it's so profound and so indescribable and so, I mean, it really is blissful. It's just, you can't describe it, but mm. you can know it, you can feel mm. it, but it takes showing up. I mean, we, we wouldn't expect to get to know a human and marry them without spending quite a bit of time really getting to know that individual deeply, intimately, right? So let's get to know God that way. Call it whatever you want. Call it energy, the universe. It doesn't matter. Get to know what is bigger than yourself intimately mm -hmm. by spending time with it. I very much appreciate that distinction that it is indescribable, but is not unknowable. And we can experience it on a, on a fundamental level, this truth that you're describing. And I love that you describe your own experience in meditation, that you have had this experience of the mind dropping away and resting in the truth of love. And I'm curious more about your path in both kind of where you are now, who has helped you get to where you are today, and what you see the future is. So like right now, would you say that you've found Samadhi and or are still seeking it in a certain way, or you've had glimpses. Where are you right now in this path? Oh, definitely glimpses, if that. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, Samadhi is a big field, I guess. I don't know how to describe it better than a field of energy um, mm. in which we rest. But again, the, there are layers of that or levels of that. And so the moments that I've had that I would call you know, moments of Samadhi experience have been brief, but they've been very, very powerful. And they've been due absolutely to the practices that I have learned through Kriya Yoga with via the um, Paramahansa Yogananda's path of teaching. Mm. Um, so for those listeners who might not be familiar with that name, he wrote Autobiography of a Yogi, which is a, you know, real spiritual classic. And, um, he taught in the States between 1920 and the 1950s, and he is considered an enlightened master. So, um, he, and his meditation techniques are, are widely available, easily um, accessed through the Self-Realization Fellowship. And not that it, I'm saying that that has to be the path for everyone. I'm not here as some, you know, proselytizing <laughs> person, um, because there are a 100,000 million highways to the divine. And so hmm. take your pick of your path, but take the journey, right? So that's what worked for me. His writings really brought together so many of the other spiritual teachings and teachers that I had studied and, and read previously. And so his 
way of expressing things just really worked for me. I'm going to go out on a limb here, Zach, and I am going to jump into a topic that I've been thinking about doing a little, a little post on, and I haven't done it yet. But this is a good time since we're talking about one who is considered a true guru. And, and again, you used that term for me at the beginning, and I <laughs> will not accept that term um, because I have not reached any sort of sustained state of enlightenment. Um, but there's this common saying out in the realm of spiritual beings these days that the guru is within. And mm. I have a real disagreement with that. <laughs> oh, tell us. So we've been talking about this fact that we are all in various states of delusion or identification of self through the physical being only and this forgetting of our spiritual nature, which is the essence of Maya and all of yoga philosophy is based around this. So that saying is true and not true. So it's true in the sense that fundamentally, we're all created equal. We are all sparks of spirit. We are all pure divine essence at the essential most point. But to presume that we can know that yet and say that we, the guru is within and so we don't really like need any external teachers mm -hmm. is false in my opinion. And we all do need teachers and various levels of teachers along our way. So again, I studied with many, many different teachers and studied many different philosophies before I came to the one that clicked it all together for me and opened the door of greater advancement in my practice. So that's what I think everyone's on that sort of journey in their own way. And it looks different for each person, but it's very egocentric, in my opinion, for most people where they are now, myself included in this statement, to say that the guru is within. Hmm. Well, I'll tell the yoga world that you think that and we'll see how much controversy you get back in in, in it. But um, no, I love the sentiment, you know, because absolutely external teachers can be really important along the path. And to think that like all the teachings that we know are inside of us can easily devolve into kind of a spiritual bypassing that I know everything and I don't have to listen to any sort of feedback. So you've mentioned Paramahansa Yogananda and you've mentioned some other teachers and for those unfamiliar with what some of these teachings entail, what are some of the some powerful lessons that you have learned from these external gurus and teachers that have really helped you along your own path? Well, much of what we've just been talking about, right? The eight limb path of yoga, the practices of sensory withdrawal, deep meditation states, focusing the mind, um, practicing all of the yamas and the niyamas, which are those, you know, qualities which bring our moral beings into alignment. Um, it's very difficult to sit in meditation if you're out of alignment in your external relationships, because then the mind just gets flooded with all the drama. And so... I'd say the greatest one from Yogananda is this sense of seeing everyone through the eyes of love. Mm. So he, you know, he is really the one who influenced my writing of breathing love and understanding love as the energy that we all are fundamentally at our essence. And it's a big practice. I mean, it's really hard. It's not easy. Like it's even hard to see my husband through eyes of love sometimes. <laughs> 
when he's driving me crazy. I really have to, you know, drop into that remembrance of my spiritual teaching. But when I do, then it creates such a different experience in our relationship. Mm. And it really elevates our relationship to a much more spiritual dimension. Because, you know, our egos will do battle with one another forever. There is no human relationship that is not going to get into ego battles. Absolutely true. I love that egos will do battle forever. But it's the love and the dropping out of egoic identities where we find true intimacy and connection. So you keep going back to the importance and role that meditation can play in our lives. And I want to probe deeper into this because earlier we talked about how most people see themselves as a body in the external physical world of matter. And similarly to a lot of people, meditation is a mental exercise. Um, Even mindfulness has the word mind in it. And people think that they're clearing the mind, that they're, by learning how to focus the mind, they'll be more productive in their work. And it's kind of a form of mental hygiene or mental exercise. And few people see meditation as a way of getting in touch with basically everything we've been talking about, becoming the love and knowing the love that we are. So I feel like I have two questions here. One is, what do you think about the modern mindfulness movement? But fundamentally, how can we shift from thinking about meditation as a mental exercise to a process and a path of discovering the divine love within ourselves? Great questions. I think there are different paths of meditation for different people at different stages of their experience. So there's a big difference, in my opinion, between meditation and mindfulness. So I know there Mm. are many practices called mindfulness meditation, but I would separate those two terms completely because my understanding of mindfulness is practicing a very present moment awareness of what is happening, um, which is, like you said, a very cleansing for the mind. It's a great mind training and it can be extremely relaxing if done well. Meditation though, I come from classical yoga background. So meditation is the state of being in pure stillness. That's the mm. yoga sutra. I mean, that's me giving the, the a nice synopsis of the yoga sutra around meditation. It is a state of being. It's not even a practice. It's the state of being we achieve via the practices of withdrawing the senses, prachahara, and focusing the mind, dharana. So there's also a difference between, you mentioned clearing the mind versus focusing the mind. So mm-hmm. we focus the mind in order to clear the mind. So we've got to focus the mind, give it something to be centered on in order to then drop out of it. So it's mm-hmm. there's kind of an order to things. It's like we practice mindfulness in order, in my opinion, to be able to then focus the mind to then be able to drop out of the mind, to then drop into the state of pure stillness and awareness, Mm. which is meditation. So it depends on where someone is in that kind of practice, what's going to be most helpful to them in terms of the the practice that they're working on at that time. It's a really wonderful three-step process that you just described, that first we focus the mind, then we clear the mind, and then we drop out of the mind entirely and then we're able to rest in the truth of who we are 
<laughs> oh, it should just be that easy. <laughs> Say it and it's done. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that real quick because you mentioned the sutras and for those that know, don't know, Patanjali wrote the Yoga Sutras, which is largely considered to kind of be the first compendium of yogic knowledge written over 2,000 years ago. And one of the things Patanjali does go into is obstacles that we'll find along the path. So, so far we've kind of been describing the process. It's a pretty, pretty easy one. Just sit, meditate, sense, withdraw, and you'll know that you're love. And what are some obstacles that people will experience along the way? Well, the greatest obstacle is one that we've already talked about, which is the ego. So mm. here we are, we're given these bodies, these personalities, which we need. And fundamentally, you know, we can't eliminate the ego. We need the ego. We're operating through the ego in this life. Um, but the ego is an obstacle as well. So we have to just recognize it. You know, there's obstacles which... You've probably gone for hikes, right? And so you come mm -hmm. across a big boulder. Well, you either go around it, you go over it, you ask somebody to give you a hand up who's already on top of it, you know, whatever. But there's ways of working with obstacles. So it's not that we have to move the boulder off the mountaintop in order to keep going up. We just figure out how to work with it. So the ego is not something that we need to get rid of. We can't anyways, as long as we're embodied. And we just have to learn how to work with it. But this is why I say the guru is not within because we need teachers to help us. They're the hand up on top of the, the obstacle of the ego, that boulder giving us the hand up. They're mm. ones who have progressed farther in their spiritual awareness and can, you know, show us the way. But that being said, I'll also just drop in a huge, don't just trust anyone to give you that hand up because there's a lot of people touting themselves as enlightened <laughs> ones or quote gurus who absolutely are not. And truly enlightened one will never call themselves that anyway. So, you know, we do have to be careful of who we ask for help. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we have about 15 minutes left. So what I'd really like to do is finish with the last question that I ask all my guests and then have you tell us where we can find you. And then how do you feel about closing us out with like a five minute meditation? Because I feel like we do need to ground this discussion with the practice that you have been describing. So the last question that I'd love to ask all of my guests is quite simply, what do you wish everyone knew about love? That it's unlimited and that it's within them right now mm. so there's no shortage and you don't have to go anywhere to find it wonderful it's unlimited and within you right now you hear that listeners there's an unlimited source of love within you right now nothing you need to do nowhere you need to go to discover it thank you so much jenny for your inspiring words and for our listeners who want to read and hear more of your inspiring words how can they find you I love hearing from people. My website is my name, Jenny Lee, J-E-N-N-I-E-L-E-E, -E -E, yogatherapy.com. My books are on Amazon and at all major bookstores, so you can find Breathing Love, Spark Change, and my first book, True Yoga, at any major bookseller. Very cool. So thank you for coming on and sharing your wisdom. Thank you for your work in the world and spreading 
this expansive and infinite idea of love. And thank you listeners for listening to the show. We hope you remember that there's an unlimited source of love inside of you right now. One of the greatest obstacles is the ego. But if you follow the three-part process of focusing the mind, clearing the mind, and dropping out of the mind, it will help to discover the divine love inside of you. And to close out our show, Jenny will guide us through a short meditation. Well, thank you, Zach. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everyone who's on here listening. So yeah, let's close our eyes and um, this can, as long as you're not driving, <laughs> just close your eyes and settle your body for a moment. This can be just so simple, actually. So whether you're sitting or standing, let your one of your hands breast open on your lap or by your side. I'll assume everyone's sitting. So hand on your lap, open, take a deep breath in and draw that breath all the way up to the crown of your head. Exhale back down again, exhaling down to the tailbone. On your next breath in, feel as though in your open palm, you are receiving this beautiful gift. And it's the gift of love, the gift of feeling love energy. And in the in-breath, you're going to gently close your hand around that love and take it in. Just hold it like the precious gift that it is. And then on your exhale, you're going to open your fingers and allow that love to go back out. Because remember, it's unlimited, so you don't have to hold on to it. You can give it back out into this day and into the world. And just very simply with each successive breath, we'll do five more together. Breathing in, feeling that loving energy coming in through your palm, closing your fingers, taking it in as you would take in just this most precious offering from the divine. Holding it just momentarily to feel it within your being and then exhaling and opening your hand releasing it back out into the world, offering it to all those who need it, all those who are suffering. You can say silently to yourself as you're doing this motion and in holding this intention, breathing in love, breathing out love, Breathing in love. Breathing out love. Breathing in love. Breathing out love. Let's take two more. Breathing in love. Breathing out love. Breathing in love. And breathing out love. Resting in that universal field of love, that infinite field of divine love. 
knowing and feeling for this moment that you are inseparable from this, that it is around you, it is within you, it is you. Peace, peace, peace. Om Shanti, Shanti. Thank you. Thank you. I feel so warm inside. So your newest book is Spark Change, and today we're talking about breathing love. And if you enjoyed that meditation, you can also get the audio book, Breathing Love, which has some amazing guided meditations also at the end. Thank you. Thank you, Zach. Thanks for asking me to lead that. And for Breathing Love, each chapter has little short practices like that, two or three after each chapter. So yeah, the audio or the or the book will give people tangible ways to ground into that knowing of themselves as love every day. And that's that's the intention with that book. Thank you, Jenny, for bringing a smile to my face today. And thanks, listeners, again, for listening to the show. If you want to learn more about me, you can head to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to zachbeach.com or theheartcenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 